Between the Dobbs decision, the VA's interim rule, and Senator Tuberville's blockage, there's a lot to talk about when it comes to reproductive health. More importantly, military and veteran women's reproductive health. So this is my third episode of Veteran Legislative Voice, the military, the VA, and women's lady parts. I will admit that this is a very important subject for me, and I will try to do my best to keep this just to the facts and not try to preach from my own personal side. So let's dive into some history of women in the military to add a little bit more context to this entire cluster mess. I will not cuss. (laughs) Women have served in the U.S. military since the American Revolution, and even the French and Indian War if you want to go that far. But they didn't become permanent and regular members until Congress passed the Women's Armed Services Integration Act in 1948. But the act wasn't completely a good thing. It actually restricted the military from manning more than 2% of the entire military to women. Women could not become generals, and they could not command men. During the Korean War, 1951 to be exact, President Harry S. Truman signed Executive Order 10240, which allowed the possibility of separating service women if they became a parent by birth or adoption. Of course, of course, the military one-upped itself, surprise, surprise, by making it an automatic discharge when a service woman becomes a parent. Let me put this into historical context. Roe v. Wade didn't get decided until 1973. Universal access to birth control for just married couples wasn't protected until the Supreme Court case Griswold v. Connecticut in 1965. So this mandatory discharge policy happened 22 years before women could have access to abortions nationwide and 14 years before married women could have access to birth control. Thankfully, this policy did end in 1976 due to the second U.S. Circuit Court case, Crawford v. Cushman. An interesting fact, though, future Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg worked on this case under the ACLU. Crawford was a young enlisted Marine who was able to return to work six weeks after having the birth of her baby girl. When she submitted her application for re-enlistment, she was told it would be denied because she had a dependent child. So Crawford went to court. And the district court upheld the regulations, while Second Circuit Court disagreed. They found that the mandatory discharge policy violated military women's right to due process, the 14th Amendment, because they weren't allowed to prove that they could return to work after childbirth. Instead, the policy changed to allow service members to apply for discharge after the birth of a child. After Roe v. Wade, conservatives fought to put down restrictions on abortions. One of those is the Hyde Amendment, the restriction of using federal funding for abortions. This means that the DOD and the VA would be restricted from performing abortions for service members and veterans. The original amendment from 1977 only had the life-saving exception. In 1979, it was amended again to include exceptions for rape or incest, but reporting to the police is required. There was also an exception if the mother's life was at risk and also quality to life. But the amendment was changed again only to have the life-saving exception in 1981 and 1993. But in 1994, the rape and incest exception returned to the Hyde Amendment and it did not include the reporting requirement. Prior to the Dobbs decision, the military did provide abortions when it came to those same three exceptions. But the year before, they only performed 14. The VA, however, did not perform or provide funding for abortion services. 
After Roe v. Wade was rescinded, both the DOD and the VA changed a few rules. Less than two months later, on September 9th, 2022, the VA made their final interim rule effective. This interim final rule changed their own regulations, CFR 38, to allow for the option of abortion services or abortion counseling for those that meet the Hyde Amendment's exceptions, especially if the veteran's pregnancy is complicated to service-connected disabilities or the treatment of those disabilities. I have a link to the interim final rule in the Federal Register in the show notes if you want to see the official documentation. An outspoken opponent of this move, Illinois Representative Mike Boast, stated that the Biden administration is violating the will of the American people who don't want their tax dollars to be used for abortion at the VA. The VA is clearly violating the law, which has prohibited abortion in the VA for 30 years. He also said, by using unelected bureaucrats to make policy decisions better left to duly elected representatives, the VA is undercutting their constitutional process and the sanctity of life at the same time. This executive overreach is frighteningly common under President Biden. He said, it is illegal, wrong, and it must stop. Again, I am trying not to put my personal side into this, but I will give you an example of something that the VA has done without the duly elected officials. The VA has been able to amend CFR 38 without any problems from elected officials. For example, they started a presumptive condition list for burn pits months before Congress finally passed the Honoring Our Pact Act. There was also a congressional hearing done by the House Veterans Affairs Committee, and I included the link in the show notes so you can watch it yourself. One thing to note in this hearing is that those congressmen against the abortion policy really wanted to know the guidelines provided on how and why they would recommend abortion services when it comes to the health of the mother. However, the medical providers as witnesses didn't want to nail down specifics because it would possibly leave someone out by doing that. Since the interim final rule has been made effective last year, the House Republicans have demanded data on the VA's abortion procedures. They want more in-depth data on the number of abortions performed and where the procedures took place. Per the Military Times, in May, the VA officials told committee members that they had provided 54 surgical and medical abortions over the course of nine months. Of those, 10 were cases of rape and incest or intimate danger to the life of the patient. The others fell under the general category of adverse effects on the health of the veteran. But Secretary McDonough, in response to the committee, declined to release any more specifics on the procedures, citing patient confidentiality. Committee members have not received any updates since then. The committee members wrote a letter to the VA, and the letter dismissed the VA's privacy concerns and demanded more information, particularly on what was included in the health concerns category used to justify abortion services. Senator Tommy Tuberville of Alabama had introduced a bill, Senate Joint Resolution 10, a joint resolution providing for congressional disapproval under Chapter 8 of Title V, United States Code, of the rules submitted by the Department of Affairs relating to the reproductive health services. 
the senator forced the vote on April 19th, and it failed 48 to 51, mostly along party lines, except for Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia, who voted for the bill, and Senator Murkowski from Alaska, and Senator Susan Collins from Maine, who voted against it. Okay, crawl myself out of the rabbit hole for the VA side, and let's cover some of the DODs. Four days after the news broke, the Undersecretary of Defense published a memo called Ensuring Access to Essential Women's Health Care Services for Service Members, Dependents, Beneficiaries, and Department of Defense Civilian Employees. Allow me to read directly from the memo. On Friday, the Supreme Court issued its opinion in Dobbs v. Jackson, Women's Health Organization. This decision will have significant implications for our service members, dependents, and other beneficiaries of the DOD healthcare services and civilian employees, as well as the readiness of the force. As Secretary Austin has made clear, nothing is more important than the health and well-being of our service members, the civilian workforce, and DOD families. And we are committed to taking care of all of our people and ensuring that the entire force remains ready and resilient. The memo also reaffirms that the DOD is restricted from performing abortions and paying for those services due to the Hyde Amendment. They also use the term covered abortions when referring to those abortions that can be performed due to the Hyde Amendment's exceptions. It is important to remember this for later in the episode. The memo goes on to say that the Supreme Court's decision does not affect the DOD's leave policies. Existing department policy authorizes active duty service members to travel as necessary to receive abortion care, either government-funded, official travel for a covered abortion, or at the service member's own expense on regular leave for all other cases i.e. non-covered abortions. Access to emergency and convalescence leave remains unchanged for all service members. DOD civilian employees may continue to request sick leave and other forms of leave as necessary to meet the health care needs of the employee and his or her family members. Sick leave may be used to cover travel that is necessary to obtain any type of medical treatment. On October 22nd, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin signed a memo titled Ensuring Access to Reproductive Health Care. This document notifies everyone that he is directing the staff to establish new protections, guidances, and improvements to contraceptive access and information about reproductive health care. I can go more in depth, but it's really similar to the official policies that were distributed out later. So I'll cover that. And again, the links to these things and the others will be in the show notes. So February 16th of this year, three memos were published, which cover policy changes to command notification of pregnancy, administrative absence for non-covered reproductive health care, and changes to travel policies for non-covered reproductive health care. First, the command notification is allowed to be as far out as 20 weeks of gestation. It did specify that mandatory notifications of sexual assault and domestic abuse still stands, but will be made without any notification of the potential pregnancy of the victim. Now I said we would talk about covered and non-covered reproductive health care. So here we are. Non-covered reproductive health care is when a pregnant person wants an abortion when they don't meet the Hyde Amendment's exceptions of rape, incest, or risk of health or life to the pregnant person. Now back to the policies. 
One is allowing the use of non-chargeable administration leave up to 21 days when a pregnant service member needs to travel for an abortion that does not meet the Hyde Amendment's exceptions. Some may ask, why 21 days? Well, depending on health complications, it can take longer than most people would think to recover from an abortion. It's also recommended to take a few days off for just the chemical abortion for those under 16 weeks of gestation. Okay, back to the memos. The third memo and the most contested policy by Senator Tommy Tuberville is the travel reimbursement to receive a non-covered abortion if the pregnant person cannot receive one in their local area. This policy is only to reimburse the travel funds and not the actual abortion services itself. So why is this important? Following the Dobbs decision, the Rand Corporation found that 40% of service women and DOD civilian women then had either no or severely restricted access to abortion services where they live or are stationed. But later they updated the number to 46% because since then, states continue to increase restrictions like my state of Florida, which increased the restrictions from 21 weeks to 15 weeks last year, and then again to six weeks this year. Unlike most civilians, members of the military do not get to choose where they live. Many of the states of the largest populations of service members are in Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, and Texas, also have complete or severe restrictions associated to abortion care. Service women stationed in these states have to travel hundreds of miles and incur great personal expenses to receive abortion care. So let's talk about women's reproductive health care that is largely overshadowed by abortion services. A survey in 2020 found that 13% of active duty service women waited four weeks or more to get an OBGYN appointment in the military health care system. It also found that a third found it was never easy to get an appointment. About 60% of all active duty service women that they use some regular form of birth control and under 15% reported having used emergency contraceptive in the year leading up to the survey. It is actually required for the military to provide a pre-deployment contraceptive counseling from a medical provider, but fewer than 20% of active duty service women say they received it. Senator Tammy Duckworth of Illinois, a Army veteran, spoke at length about her reproductive health care services while deployed. She was actually encouraged to take specific birth control medication that would stop her from having periods because they weren't sure if they would be able to provide the required sanitary products while she was in combat. So this brings us to those who object to the recent policies involving non-covered abortions. The loudest objector is Senator Tommy Tuberville of Alabama. Senator Tuberville stated in an exclusive statement to Fox News Digital, the Secretary of Defense is following through with his radical plan to facilitate thousands of abortions a year with taxpayer dollars. So I will follow through with my plan to hold all DOD civilian, flag, and general officer nominations that come before the U.S. Senate. As I stated, if Secretary Austin wants to change the law, he should go through Congress. This is an illegal expansion of DOD authority and gross misuse of taxpayers' dollars, and I will hold him accountable. The American people want a military focused on national defense, not facilitating a progressive political agenda. Per his website, his hold means that the Senate will not be able to quickly approve President Biden's nominees by unanimous consent as the Senate often does. 
Instead, the Defense Department nominees will require a formal Senate vote, which would make these nominations more difficult to approve. And honestly, it takes a whole lot of time. Senate Democrats already have a slim 51-49 majority, which means a few missing Democrat senators could be enough to tank some of Biden's nominees. And eight months later, Senator Tuberville's hold on military promotions is still technically in place. Over the course of time, over 300 positions, including the next chairman of Joint Chiefs of Staff, Chief of Staff of the Army, Air Force, and Marine Corps, had become vacant. But a few weeks ago, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer forced a full Senate vote for Air Force General C.Q. Brown, two chairmen of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, to replace General Mark Milley, who was confirmed under a 83-11 vote and the chamber voted for two more military nominations. The problem with this tactic is that it takes a lot of time. Per CNN, the Congressional Research Service stated it would take the Senate approximately 700 hours of floor time to individually process and vote on hundreds of military officers whose promotions were being blocked. Back in July, a letter was sent to Senator Jack Reed of Rhode Island, the chairman of the Senate Armed Services Committee. It included legal analysis from Christopher Schroeder, Assistant Attorney General Office of Legal Counsel. This analysis states the DOD's travel policy for non-covered abortions is completely legal. The House also tried to repeal Secretary Austin's October 2022 memo titled Ensuring Access to Reproductive Health Care and to remove all funds allocated to that memo. House Republicans tried to do this by having it in the National Defense Authorization Act, H.R. 2670, which is the congressional bill that funds the Department of Defense. A frustrating part is that there are some decent things related to the memo, like a walk-in contraceptive clinic, which sounds pretty needed by what the Rand Corp found in the statistics that I brought up earlier. But the GOP who pushed for this amendment became pissed when the Senate removed this and other pieces of legislation when they were done with it. So this didn't help the whole budget fight that's been happening leading up to October 1st and the last minute continuing resolution. So I apologize that this sounds completely different. I accidentally killed my mic and I need to change my ending because everything that's been going on in Israel, I really needed to bring home something here that because of Senator Tuberville's position on the military's travel policy to get non-covered abortions is actually affecting how we are handling the war in Israel because Senator Tuberville's block also blocks the appointments to ambassadors to certain countries. And Senator Tuberville thinks that what the military is doing is completely illegal, despite the fact that with his background as a football coach, and not the law, we are supposed to take him up on that. And let me remind everyone that Senator Tuberville has a Bachelor of Science in Physical Education, while Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin had included in his letter to Senator Jack Reed a legal opinion from Assistant District Attorney Christopher Schroeder. Mr. Schroeder began his legal career in 1974, He is a graduate of Princeton University for his bachelor's, and he has a Master of Divinity degree from Yale Divinity School, and he also has a JD degree from University of California, Berkeley School of Law. He has been practicing law since 1974, 49 years worth. He retired earlier this year, just after his legal opinion was sent to Senator Jack Reed. Mr. Schroeder has been working for Congress under the United States Senate Committee 
He has worked under President Obama and also President Biden in the Department of Justice. So weigh your opinions on those two. I never thought I would have to cover women's reproductive rights and the war on Israel, or rather any war at all anywhere in the world, in the same breath. But here we are. So... That's how women's lady parts and the war around the world come together. Many defense experts have been saying that this block on military promotions are a threat on national security, but Senator Tuberville never heeded these warnings. Please let me know what you think. You can email me at vetslegislativevoice at gmail.com. Find me under Veteran Legislative Voice on Facebook, Instagram, or X, or on my page, VETS Legislative Voice. Dot org. Thank you for your time, and please be safe out there.